Hello, everyone. You're in it. This is Dave Birnbaum. Today's episode is made from the audio of a panel that I had the privilege of moderating a couple of weeks ago at the Digital Hollywood Conference. Digital Hollywood takes place every six months in Los Angeles. The people who attend and who speak at the conference are a really interesting mix of people. You have, of course, lots of people from the entertainment industry, such as people who work in film, TV, also VR and AR, since the industry increasingly kind of views those formats as the future of entertainment. There are also people from other fields, though, like sports, health and wellness, cannabis, and even the space industry. So this panel happened to be about space. The topic of the panel was the use of extended reality technologies for space exploration and space education. It was a really interesting discussion, and so I asked for permission to post the audio from the panel as an episode, and the conference organizer, the great Victor Harwood, gave me the permission. A note about the Q&A at the end. There was no floating mic for the audience, so it was difficult or impossible to hear people asking questions in the recording. So when the questions weren't audible, I just kind of skipped over them and faded to the answers because the answers from the panelists were interesting in their own right, regardless of whether you could hear the questions from the audience. So with that note, space innovation with extended reality. All right, so today we have a couple panelists. We had three, we had a cancellation, unfortunately. Um, and to my right, we have Rob Ray. Hello. Rob is a senior designer in the Human Centered Design Group at NASA's JPL, Jet, Jet Propulsion Lab. Um, at the JPL, Rob leads a human centered design practice for Protospace, the lab's flagship augmented reality platform for scientists and engineers. Protospace uses AR technologies to transform 3D CAD drawings into immersive, collaborative, problem-solving experiences. As the design lead for Protospace, Rob works to make Protospace something akin to a roller coaster ride that boiled the perfect egg, a simultaneity of spectacle and utility. Rob is also a visual artist and co-host of the Opposable Thumbs Creative Challenge podcast. And to his right is Susan Jewell. Susan has been a leader, innovator, and speaker and educator in the areas of space exploration, space medicine, edutainment, and astropreneurship. Very cool word. <laughs> she has built a crew, uh, she has built crew teams for expeditions and analog missions in isolated and extreme environments. She pioneered Mars Academy USA and the Space Surgery Institute, organizations that focus on developing simulation-based training programs and VRAR edutainment content to lay the groundwork for settlement of Mars and the moon. Currently, she's focused on developing Mars Academy uh, USA, a 21st century academy offering exper experiential learning and unique simulation programs for prospective young astronauts, professionals, and scientists. And she's also involved in an XPRIZE uh, Foundation project, which we'll, which we'll talk about. So, um, so that we have a kind of a small panel tonight. In our previous discussions, um, the topics that kind of bubbled up as most most interesting to talk about today um, 
has to do with immersive technology as a support builder for space exploration and space programs. And then immersive technology also as a mission enabler. So those are the two kind of things we're gonna look at today. Um, immersive technology as a support builder. So, you know, the immersive technology is experiential. And Susan, you've been doing what you call analog missions. Mm -hmm. So it's immersive, but it's not digital, right? No, it's real time with real people, but in a full immersive simulation. And that's really, I think, you know, we can say it's kind of like the laboratory out in the environment versus your traditional definition of a laboratory, which is like confined in a building. And this builds a very um, authentic layer into the experience. And also when you're really trying to, of course, you know, when you're building prototypes, you are able to now put in that that uh, authenticity layer, the, the, the complexity of trying to iterate and optimize your technology or your prototype. So it allows you to do that. At the same time, however, I think another important aspect of why we do these analog simulations in these austere environments is that we're looking at three Ps. And what are the three Ps which stands for for us is the physical aspects you know what do humans you know encounter what do they undergo what are these challenges as astronauts or even people who are on earth and are in real austere environments like everest you know or to go to antarctica and then the second p would be you know psychological when you're talking about humans in the equation every time humans are in the loop you have to take care of that human. And when you put them in confined, isolated environments or dangerous environments, there is going to be psychological issues. So you have to look at that. And then in these astro analog astronaut simulations, we study that. And final P is the physiological, right? The physiological aspect. How does your body uh, on, the, on the physiological side is affected and so when you're talking about astronauts or anybody that are in that's you know deployed or put into some really dangerous environment, isolated and confined, you're going to see those three issues. And that's what we're trying to do in these analog simulation training. And I've seen in some of the images from your trainings that there are people wearing headsets though. So you're integrating some yes. digital immersive technology as well. Yeah. So what makes us very different from a lot of other analog research, you know, um organization is that um, I really wanted to, I'm very much a geek <laughs> in that way. I, I'm so uh, um, passionate about exponential technologies, you know, and so I want to innovate in that arena. And so I just see the, the, the seamless integration of using these technologies to be able to um, develop the platforms, but also to help the crew teams to be able to train uh, and also to... Um, to work on the technologies, right? To be able to be users and to be the testers uh, in these environments. And it's, it makes a perfect, um, you know, um, uh, combination of both that integration of that real like research aspect and then the human user use and getting the data back. And that's very important so that you can optimize and you can do iterations. And as a scientist, you can collect data on a longitudinal basis. And that is important because if you can't collect the data, you only can do it one time. It's, it's, you, you know, it's useless. Right. Rob, um, so some of your protospace technology you were saying is really important to get stakeholders on board with um, your design vision. Can you talk about that? Definitely, sure. I mean, at the 
The JPL, for those who may not be familiar with the organization, is a NASA center in Pasadena, California. Um, the JPL focuses on um, missions without humans. Some people say unmanned missions. Um, mm. And those missions tend to be uh, deep space orbiters, um, Mars landers, Mars rovers, that type of thing. Um, and so often the JPL spends um, years and possibly even a decade or more working from what they call back of the napkin, right? Where they just start drawing out your concept and are like, oh, I have this idea for this deep space probe or something. And then, you know, in number of years later, it becomes flight hardware on the, you know, as a payload to a space on a, on a rocket launched into deep space. And so years are spent iterating on this design. Uh, and the reason the JPL does all this work, right, is uh, for science. So um, any mission of the JPL starts with science goals and then backing out from those science goals is what shapes uh, the instruments that are used on the um, spacecraft and then also the engineering uh, and the experience this, of the spacecraft uh, in situ, may, may it be that on Mars or whatnot. Um, and so uh, throughout that process, right, real world engineering problems and design problems come up. And so often engineers and scientists are working through sometimes pleasurably and sometimes not so pleasurably, on trying to <laughs> resolve problems that come up. Um, and so what we do with Protospace is allow scientists and engineers to get together, collaboratively view a CAD model in 3D space through augmented reality using the Microsoft HoloLens and um, have discussions, right? Which are kind of the most difficult things for us as humans to do, which is to talk to one another, <laughs> I feel, especially in 2019. And so um, I think... Uh, so our goal with that is to get people to come together, share and embody, you know, using their human body as a measuring stick in some ways for a spacecraft, uh, and for a set of decisions or problems they have to get to, uh, and make decisions and then move on. Right. Our, our best meeting is for them to end early and then scribble a bunch of stuff on a whiteboard about how they're going to solve a problem as opposed to, you know, necessarily even being wowed by augmented reality. Uh, we have a pretty tough customer base because they're engineers and scientists are not often wowed by much. And so we do try to impress them a little bit with the tech, but then also make it as seamless as possible for them to just get immersed in the experience um, and, and move their, through their decision-making process. And you provided a video. Let's take a look because it's sure. Emanating. This is, I think Europa orbiter. Yep. Uh, or Europa Clipper, which is the, well, the most official name. Uh, this video is sped up a little bit just because um, it's a pretty long session we were having. This is, um, this is actually not full scale. Um, I think it's about quarter scale of the Europa um, Clipper spacecraft, which will be launching, I think, in 2024, if budgeting ever gets worked out. Um, and this is a number of people. You can see my own goofy self in there in the back. Uh, 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 walking around the model. And what's really funny about um, this is everybody who looks at Europa Clipper uh, through the through augmented reality goes, wow, it's so big. And it's like, you're, 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 you've been an engineer on this project for years and you never thought about how big it was? And they're like, no. <laughs> so it's really nice to um, even just in the most basic form of augmented reality, um, let people experience something at scale uh, that they're used to working on, even on a, you know, a 27 inch monitor. Uh, and just, you know, again, be able to use their human body as a measuring stick for 
things. Have you have you solved? I mean, has there been a moment where engineers have solved a problem because you think they had a spatial experience that they wouldn't have yes. caught? Yes. So um, this, I'll try to summarize. This was like when the light bulb came on for me for Protospace, and when I was like, you know, I think we all have jobs where we're like, am I? What am I doing here? You know, you just kind of think like, what am I? I'm I'm doing work. It feels good, but like, am I moving any kind of social needle or something? You know, and um, it was right when I had joined Protospace, and it was um, typically, so Protospace is you book a room, right? Because it's augmented reality and you kind of want to, I mean, you can do it anywhere, but it's kind of nice to have a room dedicated to the thing. And so uh, they, the room is booked and you're just kind of like, oh, we have people coming over, great. And they come in and typically, you know, uh, any meeting, people kind of start and are talking to one another and they're kind of social and, you know, the meeting's about to begin and it's like dead quiet. Like no one's talking to one another and you know that's like a bad thing. Like when a meeting's about to happen and no one's even asking like, how are your kids or whatever, like it's just, you know, it's not good. And so, and there's a lot of like murmuring and stuff and you're like, oh, this is not good. And so what it was, was there was a, a specific disagreement um, about the position of um, of a sensor on on a spacecraft. I won't say which one, it doesn't matter. But, uh, uh, um, and this, the problem with this, the issue was is the sensor in some situations could be too close to the ground. And when it's too close to the ground, like like you, we all have cars or we all have uh, bicycles or skateboards, you scrape the bottom, which is really what you don't wanna do with a very fancy spacecraft. So there was a disagreement, but like moving this sensor, right, could and probably would alter the type of science data you could collect because mm. you moved it, right? Like, so it's typically these things are positioned very precisely in order for you to capture the data you need. But if you have to move it a little bit, it creates a big stir. So there was a big disagreement about whether this move was necessary. So we come in and uh, we're going in there and everyone's sort of there and, and talking begins, but it's still kind of quiet. And then all of a sudden this person who I didn't know at the time, but was is actually a lead scientist on the mission, like leaps on the ground, like left on the ground and like laid on his back and then like shimmied under this, the like augmented reality version of the spacecraft on his back and like looked up and was like, okay, I get it. Okay, fine. And like, and in one second, he went from like this email chain of disagreement that had happened for a week hmm. to laying on his back, rolling around on the carpet, <laughs> seeing the instrument and mm -hmm. being like, okay, yeah, that's definitely going to hit. I see what you, I see your point. Let's, let's figure it out. And then everyone jumps up and starts like trying to figure out how to move it. Wow. you know, an X amount of time. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I do a thing that matters. So that's my story. But it was um, really powerful and just like also like so simple, right? It's not like you don't need a super fancy tool to do that. You just need to be able to load the model in AR and get people to agree that by doing this experience, they can come to some kind of agreement. And it, and it worked out. So, uh, and I can see actually um, this spacecraft is being assembled right now. And if you go to, a, you know, they have webcams so the public can see the assembly and I can see the instrument in the webcam and I'm always very psyched. I'm like, there it is, it moves. And it moved because the protospace, the tool I work on, helped them come to an agreement that it should be moved. So it's nice, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Susan, any, any thoughts on edutainment and how um, immersive technology, actually technology beyond analog could help build support for um, the kind of work you're interested in, space exploration. Oh, uh, absolutely. I think um, the word edutainment, education mixed with, you know, um, entertainment is, is, is a new word. And uh, I'd like to use because it's kind of like the hybrid and mixing of the two. And in our analog missions, you know, we um, bring in people who are non-medical. So, you know, we focus on this all, you know, we bring in a very... Um, 
uh, diverse, multidisciplinary teams, right? But um, in our Mars Medic, in our uh, medical uh, missions, we bring in, um, of course, the medically trained, and we mix them with people who have very minimum or no medical background. And then this is really interesting and fascinating because then using the technology, whether, you know, we're using AR, VR, we, we try to give them that immersive uh, experience and training. And you know, we've been doing this uh, in our teleanesthesia and telesurgery uh, uh, projects, uh, project for the last three, four years. Um, and the data we have so far is show that they're absolutely with, with the VR and the AR training and the, having that immersive experience. There really is not that much of a difference in terms of the acquisition of skills and the learning, you know, the learning curve for the non-medical uh, versus the medical. Now I'm talking about people, you know, not in a specialized, you know, field in medicine. I'm talking general practitioners, right, who who have very, you know, just very kind of, yes, they've, they've gone through surgery at some point in their medical school, medical training, but it's not their specialty. So there's still, you know, the whole, the whole saying is if you don't use it, you lose it. And so it's really interesting to 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 see that the 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 implementation and integration of this of these technology, you know, of course, you know, VR is, you know, it's immersive. But when you're talking, you bring in the next layer of uh, extended reality, right? Which is the HoloLens Magic Leap spatial computing that adds a more deeper immersion, and that to me is fascinating in terms of you know with the feedback you can get from the non-medical people. It's like wow. I really uh, the, like testing the acquisition of knowledge and the skill sets and the retention is interesting. And what's fascinating is that they enjoy it. So this whole learning process is the whole paradigm of learning your traditional, you know, 20th century sitting in a classroom reading books. It's like, no, that's the old paradigm, the new paradigm of education and learning. And, you know, we're testing these simulations is it's fun because if you don't have fun doing what you're not going to learn, it's going to be harder to learn. So this whole experiential learning with these te exponential technology, I think, is, is, the, is the future new paradigm of edutainment, as I would say. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I was actually, as you were saying, I was imagining this engineer or this scientist crawling on his back. I mean, that sounds like a fun meeting. Like that meeting just mm. got fun watching this guy do that. Yeah, so. I'm really glad he did that because I... I it was kind of funny because you think like that one amazing. My tool is awesome. Like, <laughs> but what if he hadn't have done that? And everyone would yeah. just could have stood around and been like, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. so part of it also is us feeling like we're creating a, this is a strange word maybe, but like a safe space, you know, a place where a person could lay on their back and roll around on right. the ground mm -hmm. and do stuff. And I think that gets also into this, the idea of fun, fun or just like this idea of like creating these, um, curiosity, encouraging mm. experiences or moments, right. Where someone can just feel like they can, accelerate into their thinking as opposed to feeling like they're always having to hold mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to put in the other side of why when we deploy to austere environments are extremely dangerous, right? If you're going to go to Everest, you're going to go to these really dangerous uh, environments, you have to put safety in as number one priority. And so, you know, we use the the technology for pre-sim training, pre-simulation training. In other words, before we deploy the crews to these environments they train you know using the technology and it's just it, it expedites the training process 
they they get familiar with the protocols and then you know they have them they work together and then we deploy them to because you know you're not going to have them put on the technology when they're in the austin environments it's just you know it's dangerous already and that just adds another layer of of stress and you know and yeah. uh, things can happen so so you know in terms of um the technology there's advantages and there's disadvantages what we found is a disadvantage is that it's for those who have no background in technology and how to use it they find it very difficult so like if you're an engineer you're a designer you know that's great okay you know you get to play with it but there are people that we've encountered have no experience never even put on a you know a google cardboard you know a vr and it's like okay now here his technology you know they have no idea how to use it so that's a huge challenge to onboard people who are the lay you know the lay people to use it interesting <laughs> yeah. i want to move on to our next topic uh cuz it's a very interesting one which is immersive technology as mission enabler so we've we've talked a bit about um real remote real time operation your xprize uh is a, is mm. is the avatar xprize so that's about uh remote operation multimodality haptics mm. visual audio being there um and of course space robots planetary robots have the same set of issues mm. uh, how does immersive technology play into to to that start with whoever wants to well if you stay to the next panel it's actually we are going to go a deep dive with with the team uh with our um Avatar Medic which is as David say we are an official team for the 10 million dollar Anna Avatar X prize uh, competition and the whole idea of Avatar Medic is really you know trying to and this is the Marshot vision right Marshot moon and earth the Marshot eventually is to actually create a solar system wide medical platform that will offer real time remote relief in other words and and you know converging all their um current exponential technologies like you know XR which is spatial computing with AI with robotics you know with blockchain because we're working in healthcare so the blockchain actually would eventually play an important aspect to that whole vision but that's really what we're trying to create with avatar medic right uh where you're able to eventually bring in you know experts and in this case cuz avatar medic we're focusing on medicine we're bringing in medical experts in real time remotely to be able to help you know uh, and in a, i mean bring them in in full immersion right like you the whole sensorium the human being with all the haptics and the sensors and all this and then with the you know spatial computing bring them in and then they work together to support consult train the on site you know first responder or you know um the medical providers that there at the injury site so the injury site could be a disaster area it could be a military war zone it could be on the surface of the moon or mars so that's kind of really where we're going after medic and i see where this convergence of all these technology actually really could benefit and you know save lives and that's kind of what we're heading jeez yeah this is a big topic um <laughs> uh so i have a background as an artist uh installation artist a visual artist um i work with many people who have a stem education but i say i have a flower education because i have a <laughs> an education in the arts i suppose history and writers maybe are the roots i'm not sure what part of the plant they might be but um um so immersive experiences is something i've 
thought about through various channels or through various platforms, whether they be made out of bits or made out of atoms. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was interesting to think about um, education through that lens as well, about like how, how people, I think technology, when it works best, um, it disappears, right? Like it allows you to, it allows people to do something together that they wouldn't normally do. So it's, I, th I think of it as an enabler, uh, which is what you call it, which I thought was really interesting. And I think of mission, I mean, the JPL, we, mission is kind of a capital M word, you know, it's like mission. Like, <laughs> uh, We're on the mission. Uh, but, you know, I think we all have missions that we live through, whether they're um, uh, a startup or whether they're, uh, an education platform or raising a kid or doing whatever it is that we do. And, um, I think, um, it's funny. I mean, I, I was just listening on the way here. Like, uh, like I feel like half of my podcast feed is full of people reviewing the new 16 inch MacBook pro, you know, <laughs> and like, that's, that's great. And I kind of want one, but, um, but it's also like, I don't think like if it, like what's going to move the needle in my life. And it's probably actually like, things I would do with the computer, which is like kind of an old school Apple concept, right? It's like, it, it sort of allows you to be your best creative self. Um, and so I think immersive technology, this idea of like getting beyond the device and getting into um, shared experience and stuff is super interesting. And it's like the thing that like really makes me wake up every day is just being like, oh, like we, I think we are in this era of like the self-centered technology realm, whether that's through social media or something like that, uh, where we're just like, like, like spewing ourselves into the digital space all the time. And I think it's much more interesting and maybe much more socially positive to figure out, uh, to again, refocus on that connectivity and that kind of interaction with people. Um, I was just visiting a school group, uh, a class at Scripps, uh, which is in uh, part, part of the Claremont colleges. Uh, in Claremont, California. And um, it was really interesting because I think of like, you think of like millennials or like Gen Z folks as like being so digitally enabled and stuff. But like they were, I let them try out the HoloLens and stuff and like they get to share the same thing. And they were so like into it as a, as a, as a social thing. Like, like they were moving things around and like a person was jumping over this like augmented reality. Um, like uh, it's like a little, uh, it's a, Unicorn is what it is, but uh, I was like, "How do you say that?" On a, you know, it's a unicorn. So they had this like inf had this inflatable unicorn in augmented reality, and we were like making them jump over one another, and then they were jumping over them together because, and it's because they can all see the same thing, right? And it's yeah. like a it's a gaming experience, quote unquote, but like in physical space together, uh, and that like really made me happy because I was just like, "Oh, like even though I think of all those students as being extremely digitally savvy." they're still not so jaded that they can have fun through like a shared digital experience. And so that type of uh, enlightened moment um, in their lives, I really want to bring to space missions at JPL uh, to let people to like the pro to like make the promise of technology alive, like, like to be like, Oh, I, I had this technological moment that made me do this amazing thing. Like that's the, that's like the script that we have, like for like marketing departments about technology. And like, I think if we can take things like AR and um, XR and that those kinds of platforms and actually create those moments, that's a win, right? If we let it just, you know, feed uh, ads to our, our brains all the time, we've lost. So, so like that, that to me is like, um, 
uh, a really important part of the technology. And I, I really hope that as VR and AR continues to grow, that, that those moments don't slip away and that we don't just fall back into, again, an immersive experience that's completely antisocial as opposed to one that's social. So I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think immersive technology is good for some for some aspect, but if it, if okay, so if if it um, improves the quality of your life and other people that has meaning to you, I think it will be adopted a lot easier, yeah. right? Yeah, Onboarding yeah. of people yeah. to use it. If it has negative, you know, experience, then you're going to have a challenge, right? To have to onboard people to use. Maybe they're on board and then they get like, you know, oh, this is not for me. Even though they don't, they find it boring. Mm -hmm. They don't have, mm -hmm. hey, go back, go back to the word joy, right? Fun. It's, yeah. it's just our human nature. If we don't enjoy something and we don't feel happy about it and it doesn't make us feel uplifted, we're not going to do it. We're not going to use it. So I think that's a huge challenge right now because mm -hmm. even I have to say sometimes I'm going, mm, this is kind of boring, <laughs> you know, yeah. I got to like, you know, so, um, but um, it has, it's, it, I can see the potential. We're still at the very early, uh, you know, phase of this technology. We're like the innovators, you know, mm -hmm. yourself and. David, we're, we're innovators, we're pioneers, and you know, visionaries. And so it's still very early days. Um, it has a lot of potential. I think for improving quality of life, yeah. I see the potential there, this immersive experience. I mean, I mean, the, the best is when you can find a use case where it's just absolutely essential, right? I mean, you can think about, let's say, radio communications where, um, you know, at first it was used as a utility to ship to ship communication, military. Eventually somebody figured out a business model around broadcasting, which mm. was a new word. No one had ever thought you're just speaking to nobody in particular and just throwing it out there and you're going to sell an appliance to pick up the waves. Like that was a crazy idea. I think <laughs> his name was David Sarnoff, RCA. Um, and so I'm thinking about a mission enablement, right? So it's like, you know, the rest of this conference is concerned with immersive media applications to entertainment and enterprise. But space to me is like a really clear cut case of being like, it's a mission enabler. Like if, if we don't have high enough levels of immersion for an avatar medic, then this moon mission will not happen because it's the safety is just not a solved problem. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Until you have a high enough level of presence that if somebody has a medical issue, they can be tended to by a remote surgeon, for example. Yeah, like exactly. It, I mean, it, it could be that those are the types of like space is the killer app oh, absolutely. that, that causes immersive technology to be just a given, like it's just integrated in and uh, for, just, with people's jobs. Yeah. I mean, just the whole idea, I mean, space is, uh, I think, for immersive technology and, and for, um, you know, future, well, astronauts even now in the ISS, but that's low Earth orbit. But if you're going to go deep space, I mean, you know, not to the moon, I'm talking about going to Mars. Uh, I think the whole idea of integrating the immersive technology into the spacecraft or when you know future settlers on into the the base you know the base uh, uh, colony itself I don't like using the word settlement itself then you then you don't need to be tethered you don't need to be reliant on mission control or remote teams to be able to give you that support right so that's kind of where I see space uh, is where you know um, to open that real like portal to really manifest the vision of us becoming a multiplanetary species, I see the, the potential of immersive technology to enable that because 
ultimately, if we are going to achieve that vision, we need to be autonomous. We need to be totally untethered to Earth or to the moon or, you know, to any kind of, you know, a gate, gateway. We need to be totally independent as space travelers or settlers, you know, in deep space missions or on the planetary surface, Mars and beyond. Yeah, and we were talking about how it's really the speed of light that dictates that independence. At this mm -hmm. moment, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, we have an (laughs) argument about that, but... Okay. Yeah, Rob. I mean, yeah, I think um, this idea of immersive technology is really interesting, and um, I I think it's important. So I, I I've recently, only since working on prototypes, become I would call myself an AR nerd. Uh, I'm a, I'm a general technology dork, but um, I think what really made me the kind of light bulb came, come on for me about AR is that it. Um, recognizes in some way the physical space we're already in, you know? And and um, and it makes me think about like, when I put on an AR headset that any part of the experience I'm having could be an Im- immersive experience, you know? Like, like I think, um, for instance, like a two-year-old, right? Like they may think of their favorite stuffed animal as an immersive technology, right? Because it makes them, when they hold it or when it's close to them, they feel a certain way or they have a certain calmness to them or they have a certain kind of sense of well-being and that's a technology right like like in the kind of lowercase t version of the word um and i think you know uh anyone any humans thinking of going to deep space are going to need to be tethered in a way to their humanity right and like if we if we approach immersive technology as a kind of through like a uh, kind of libertarian ideology that it's a self-standing, self-supporting entity separate from the world that it's in, I don't think it's going to be successful, right? Because like we have to, we have to keep the technology platform tethered to the world that it's in, right? And to the people that are using it um, through physical objects or through memories or through fictional narrative storytelling like like film does, you know, like these um, tendrils we have to keep out into the other parts of human experience because we're just going to, it's just going to feel as fake as it feels now, right? Like uh, if it's just sort of standing on its own. And so I think the deep space challenge is particularly interesting yes. and difficult uh, problems area to but try to keep that going. Absolutely. But it forces you to be innovative. Right. I mean, that's right. what the space, you know, when you put the space factor into your equation, yeah. you as developers, as engineers, as visionaries, as creators, you're forced to think very out of the box because space is the unknown. And, um, you know, secretly, I, I just feel like we want to develop the holodeck. I'm sorry. But <laughs> that is where Let's the full it. immersion is going to happen. And the holodeck is, you know, this... Star Trek holodeck for those who don't follow Star Trek I'm a Star Trek geek well but wait that's that's a really interesting point because that was a well it served as a mechanism in that story to be able to do different types of episode but it was also serving this Mm-hmm. goal of of tethering people to their humanity yes. and their history mm-hmm. even though they were in this totally alien but the, the key thing is that you, it's so seamless you mm-hmm. wouldn't it's like going into a matrix but you won't know you're going to matrix and when you're immersed in it but you can pick your matrix and then when you're in it you're so immersed in it you forget that you're in a matrix that you have it's pre-programmed that to me is you know that to me is where this full immersion technology this that 
the, the innovation of where we can go and the convergence of these technology is eventually build a holodeck. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I can, mm -hmm. that's how I see it. I mean, yeah. maybe it's, you know, it's maybe 50 years in the future, but we're going to head that way. Mm -hmm. We yeah. are, we are, we will. Cool. <laughs> I'm a, very optimistic that's here. A, that's a very nice <laughs> close, actually. Does anybody have any questions? We have about five minutes for questions. Be brave. Yeah. None <laughs> at all. You have one. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just to, well, first of all, I'm going to say that if we replicate the disaster model of Earth, where it's Earth with lots of borders, and I'm talking about borders of psychological border, physical border, geographic borders, financial borders, if that's the society of the future that we create using these immersive technology, it's going to be disastrous. It's going to be replicated and duplicated, but in this virtual world, in this immersive world. So I think before we even answer that question, we have to ask ourselves, can we change? Do we want to change the whole way that we live our life on Earth? So that that's how I'm going to answer it, because yeah. I don't see us as humanity, as a species right now where we're heading, you know, to, to build this model that you're saying, to have everyone be in an immersive environment wearing the, you know, whatever that spatial, whatever that technology is, and we all enter into that matrix, we're just going to be experiencing everything that we're experiencing now. So why do you want to go in there? So my question is, I'm going to ask everyone out there is like, where do we go from here? Do we change? Do we want to change? How do we change? Those are the questions I think we should answer first. I had a slightly horrifying image after after your question, where you, I was like, um, I've been having, uh, I'm, I'm learning Spanish, and I'm not very good, uh, but I'm learning. And um, because I have a new friend in my social circle who speaks, um, you know, very fluent Spanish, but not very fluent English, and I is a person who I'd like to have more conversations with. Um, but it made me think like, um, you know, we've all seen the like, I see you're using an ad blocker, you know, like it made me think like, I'm just going to see that in more and more experiences. Like I'm going to like go to try to download my interpret in my interpret, like Google interpreter so I can have a conversation with someone. It's going to be like, I see you're using an ad blocker. <laughs> so, so I was just like, oh no, like how do we fix that? You know, like, or how do we, um, uh, I think in some ways curate our own, uh, worlds and needs, right. In order to, to be able to tune in, uh, what we what we need from immersive environments, and also figure out how to get them for ourselves, right? And that feels very weird and dangerous because it just feels like it's going to come at us whether we like it or not, and it's going to be kind of up to us to figure out what our relationship to that is. Um, so I think it's in some ways it's going to have to force us to be more selective about how we choose, like what we pick and choose, right? For mm -hmm. to become to enter our realm of experience. Um, uh, that said, I'm, I'm also super excited about it. And also I would love to have an immersive 
uh, language interpreter for myself because <laughs> like, like this person's an amazing artist, a super creative thinker. And I just feel like my conversations with them are extremely basic, you know, and it's like a really, I, I feel it's like, just quite tragic really just to be like, Oh, I would love to pick this person's brain about X. And I know what I'm going to get is like, it's cold outside because that's the conversation we can have. Right. And so hopefully I would like to see a future where I can actually just have an amazing conversation with this person, uh, assisted through immersive experience, but we'll see if that happens. I also, okay. Sorry. I just also want to give a perspective from haptics because, oh, yeah. That, yeah, right. yeah. Um, yeah, because right. what I see happening now is, um, so I think we're coming to terms with the fact that we made a lot of mistakes with digital technology so far with regards to privacy and data and, um, you know, uh, opting into experiences, the stakes were lower because, um, you know, if you get an annoying email, you, it, it stresses you out in some micro way, but mm -hmm. it doesn't affect your life. But if, if you can reach out and touch anyone without their permission, that's like a huge, huge problem, right? Think about haptic spam. Um, Yep. And, and you can, you can, you can affect people's behavior through, through haptics and emotions without their conscious awareness. Actually, you can do this with Facebook feeds as well. Like there, that's why there's so many scandals around, you know, psychological studies done by people being exposed to certain types of information and then seeing how their behavior changes. Um, and, uh, then that's taken to the next level with immersive technology. So I think, um, from my perspective that that's, this is going to be a key, a, a key issue is getting it right learning from our mistakes, being like, we're not going to do that again. We can't build the same models that are just purely funded by advertising. We can't mm -hmm. let people expect that everything's free as long as they opt into ads. I mean, when I say we, it's, it, it, there's no entity that can do this. It's basically individuals need to yeah. take control yeah. out of, of their own experiences and flip those switches, make good choices about what they expose themselves to. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that, but that's exactly it, right? So it, it's um, it, it's about individuals educating themselves and deciding what they do and do not want to, to participate in ultimately, right? I mean, you're not going to restrain people from making offers, right? You, you just, you, you have to, from a very young age, you know, there's actually this new term. I learned it because my wife works in this field of uh, te technology education of digital citizenship and like from a very early age kids are learning digital citizenship and it's a core part of what they're at school to learn yeah absolutely absolutely you're cautious and then you're also you're made aware you're like if something is being offered to you like Advertising is fine, right? But you need to understand that you're participating in something. Somebody's trying to get your money. And if you want to, you can give them your money and your attention. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. And here are your here are your first principles to work from, you know, about like whether or not this is worth your time and attention. Um, we just we didn't have that education. We just we're, we walked blindly into this situation because we didn't need to learn it because there was no reference point for it, right? But now we have this reference point. So Hopefully, we're not we're not going to make the same mistake, but we'll see. I think um, I think the for XR uh, or the this uh, the term immersive technology for its biggest impact right now, the vertical industry is healthcare and medicine. I feel that back to earlier what I said at the beginning of this panel is that you know if it benefits yourself, 
If it improves the quality of your life and others that you care about, you're going to use it and you're going to engage in it. See, so I feel like that that is the, where I think with, with this technology of XR, uh, and, uh, you know, um, the convergence of, you know, the haptics and, and the AI is, is healthcare. It's really, um, transforming that industry and for the better, I hope, right? Um, and when it comes to ethics, of course, you know, medicine, especially in the United States, it's very, you know, there's a lot of ethical issues. There's a lot, you know, there's very stringent rules and things. So that's definitely going to be integrated into, um, you know, into, um, the, this vertical using these technologies. So, you know, I, I feel like that in terms of this, um, technology, the biggest disruptor of the vertical industry is healthcare and, and everyone needs healthcare. Everyone needs medical care. So I think that is an exception to the rule of what we're saying, right? This, your question, right? Um, where does, you know, where this, where is that ethical, uh, borderline for someone touching you or, uh, you know, um, entering into your space? Well, you know, if you're sick, if you have an injury, your doc, if you want to be saved, you're going to have someone to touch you. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to have an intervention. So I think that would be a model. I think that would be the first proof of concept using this technology to, uh, to address those issues. And blockchain could possibly be a way to address some of those issues, right? Why? Because it's de-anonymized? Yeah, decentralized, right? And uh, just, you know, I mean, blockchain is kind of like a sexy word everyone likes to throw in, right? But, you know, it has these issues. But I'm saying that the, the concept of that being integrated into the healthcare you know, uh, um, paradigm has potential, right? Because of, because of, you know, uh, patient confidentiality and privacy and all these things, right? I think, I mean, I do think it touched blockchain, um, in, in your, um, comment about, uh, this sort of, um, pulling back of investment in, um, AR, VR and XR companies. I think, I mean, I think the means is important, like to your point about like the funding, I, I think, um, a lot of that funding has dried up because of people's new skepticism about platform capitalism, right? Like, like is every AR VR company going to create the next Facebook, right? Um, that's just ridiculous. Like, honestly, <laughs> but like, and, and it's not something I want in my life really either. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think, and I think it's kind of slept on things like community based currencies and I'll use Patreon as a proper noun version of that. Like, um, like maybe people who are most invested, who who have rallied together around a need or have an investment in the success of a project or company um, could actually be a very motivating and powerful way to fund something and to make something come to life that doesn't need to be a publicly traded company or something like that. Um, it could be a publicly traded company. I mean, that's kind of the, the original premise of the stock market. But uh, um, like, I think, I think those those areas are rich areas to investigate are, and also difficult areas to investigate, but important in that, like how you get to a, a altruistic uh, technology, technology experience uh, through AR, VR or XR kind of needs to be thought about at the beginning. Like, like your first PowerPoint deck should, should wonder like, how are we going to get there and how we get there is important. And I think to sort of rely purely on the current VC model feels very difficult. I really like that 
what you just mentioned, building the altruistic technology. That is Maybe hard. we can do it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we've been trying for so long. <laughs> We're actually out of time. We have oh, six no. minutes till the next panel. Okay. So okay. thanks. Let's thank our panelists. Thank yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. You can find me online at DaveBirnbaum.com. You can support this podcast by subscribing to it, telling your friends and colleagues about it, and by supporting it through Patreon. More information at DaveBirnbaum.com. Beats by Illy MC. The views and opinions expressed in this recording do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of people, institutions, or organizations that the owner or guests may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone, or anything. Copyright 2019, Dave Birnbaum.